There is a lovely coincidence as we prepare to meet artist Linda Davis, whose exhibition titled Decasia is about to open at the Wyoming Valley Art League. We'll turn first to Paul Boralski, longtime professor of art history at UVA, who specializes in the Renaissance era. We learned that Boralski was always fascinated with things people leave behind. Picked up over years of walks with colleagues, his found objects have been exhibited in formal and informal displays in his office and galleries across the grounds, according to the UVA Art History website. Any visitor to his office was delighted thanks to his shelf-busting collection of items he picked up along his way. Upon his retirement, his colleagues wanted to remember his scholarship, though what he has left behind in that regard. And for our purposes, we turn to his article titled Vanitas Painting and the Celebration of Life and his keen insight into the works in the vanity of vanities tradition. He writes, in the J. Paul Getty Museum in Los Angeles, there hangs a rare, unassuming still-life painting by the Flemish painter Christoffel van der Berge, which is prominently signed and dated 1624. Painted with a muted palette of blacks and whites, grays and browns, this discreet image depicts a number of dead birds, both small and large, beautifully strewn across a stone surface in front of drinking glasses, a pitcher, and bowls of fruit. The chipped edges of the stone ledge in the foreground underscore the wear of time. The prominent plucked rose at the left suggests the transience of life, and the dead birds speak of mortality. But this summary explanation is inadequate. We moderns are quick to dwell too narrowly on the twin themes of vanity and death when we behold pictures like Van de Becher's, even though we do take delight in such pictures. If these paintings suggest the passing of worldly pleasures and the finality of death, they also abundantly celebrate the pleasures of art and life. In Van de Becher's picture, for example, we delight in the skill of the artist's composition the weaving of disparate objects into a coherent whole, the ordering of things. We take pleasure in these objects before us, the elegant, tall, wine-filled drinking glass, the nearby pitcher with a trumpeting cherub at the top, the elaborate glass rising upon an ornate stand, all of which gleam against the darkness of the background. We delight in the promise of food and drink, above all the succulent fruit presented in lovely bowls, Pictures like Vanderbeer's were painted to be hung on walls to be, dare I say, enjoyed. And yes, if they prompted the beholder to contemplate mortality, they also most emphatically beautified, enhanced the lives of those who lived in those spaces. When in overly moralized interpretations we reduce such paintings to pictorial sermons on vanity, we fail to grasp adequately the ambiguous wholeness of these images, which prompt us to reflect not upon mortality alone, but upon the ways in which life and death define each other. No label such as Vanity of Vanities can adequately convey the complexity of such pictures, and 
we know that when over a hundred years after Vandenberger portrayed a plucked rose among dead birds, drinking vessels, and fruit, there was a French painter named Chardin who rendered a boy blowing a bubble. The artist did far more than render the theme of the human as bubble, for, like the Flemish painter, like all those painters of so-called vanitas paintings, he captured exquisitely the fragile fullness and consciousness of being alive, of life before the rose withers, of life before the bubble bursts, the very mystery of existence, the wonder of what it is to be. Those words of Professor Paul Borowski, who writes that these paintings celebrate the wonder of life and what it is to be. And Borowski helps us now make better sense of the conversation we're about to have with Linda Davis. Linda Davis will be the featured artist at the Circle Center for the Arts, hosted by the Wyoming Valley Art League. And her show is titled Decasia, evoking on some level the notion that, as we'll hear, everything decays. And yet, as soon as we meet Linda Davis, we realize that she is filled with passion for life and living, and yes, found objects. She takes delight in a simple fava bean and she shares her discoveries with us joyfully, while at the same time helping other artists and craftspeople do so as well. Decasia opens on August 19th, and Linda Davis took a break from preparing the exhibition at the Circle Center to come to the studio to talk about her art and how she got started. Very early on, my father gave me a tremendous book on Michelangelo and one on Leonardo da Vinci. So I spent many hours reading both those, studying all the drawings, copying, 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 right? It, it pays off at the end. Things do start to sink in from the masters. And that's probably the, the real beginning. I had the baking from my mom. My aunt raises or was raising flowers out on Long Island in a greenhouse, my aunt and uncle. So every time, every summer, I would go out and see them and... That rubs off on you, too. My father was a big gardener. It's uh, it's interesting when you do look back on things. I, I'd say I get 50% from my father and 50% from my mom and my aunt and uncle. You talk about your own garden. Do you cultivate specific things? Are you someone who has a wild garden? What kind of gardening do you enjoy? I used to have a tremendous vegetable garden. But over the years, of course, the weeding starts to get to you and everything. And this spring, I just decided, you know what, maybe it's time for just a small kitchen garden. So I have enough room off the back porch for tomatoes, kale, beans, sunflowers, blueberry bushes went in this spring. <laughs> what else? Of course, herbs and lots of flowers. Now, geographically, where do you live right now? I live in Layton, New Jersey. In New Jersey. I've been there since 78 when I took my job at Peters Valley. Now, people should know, but I think a lot of people here, even though we're close to Peters Valley, don't know what right. that is. Oh, it's a nationally known craft center in uh, northern New Jersey. It's a nonprofit, and over the years, it's just continued to grow. We've had different directors. It's, it's a constant flow of wonderful, wonderful teachers that come through. It's the classes that really make it. And you've got blacksmithing, woodworking, 
textiles, paper making, ceramics, of course, jewelry, just about every single craft that you can think of now. So when I got there in 78, the craft movement was already underway, but still in its very early ages. So I kind of grew up with it. You know, I, I feel so privileged, so privileged to have gone through that time period and seen all those people that come through. And it sounds like you're someone who would be open and learning from everyone. Everybody. Everybody had something to teach you. You know, they, they have a program that they started many years ago where you would go on Friday night to the local church and the church would open up the big wall where you would have a big slide presentation and every single artist that would come there for the week to teach gave a presentation. How wonderful is that, right? I mean, and that's still happening today. So I think maybe they've moved it from the church to an outside venue now at night, but it's just, it's such a great opportunity for so many people. And yeah, you, you really want to stand up and shout it to the world because it's so close and yet it's in a very remote area, which makes it so beautiful. Peters Valley's within the 77,000 acres of the Delaware National Recreational Area. Just gorgeous territory, wonderful for photography classes. You know, they go out in the woods and by the streams and the waterfalls and shoot. And it's just so inspirational. I mean, I took blacksmithing classes, woodworking. I built my own boat or kayak, which was wonderful. After I left, they added drawing and painting. So I miss that I have not taken any of those classes yet. But I do go back and take classes periodically, which is great. The classes, some of them fill up pretty fast. But starting in, uh, I guess, January or February, they have a catalog that comes out every year. So just call and they will give you the information and send away for it. Was there a ceramic artist particularly who was there, whose work spoke to you? Right. The big thing when I was there back in, this was this was now probably 80 or 81, a fellow by the name of Katsuyuka Sakasumi came to Peters Valley, and he was considered a national treasure in Japan and built an anagama kiln, which is a wood-fired kiln right there at Peters Valley. And it took a couple years, and um, of course, the funding that needed to come with that and everything for the director to work on it. But it, it was an amazing experience to watch. You know, you could go every week and see a little bit more of the progress of the kiln being built. And firing it is just outstanding. Watching the smoke and the flames shoot out the back of this hillside kiln it was really wonderful. And doesn't that bring together many people round the clock to keep it going, to stoke it? It so does. You... It does. I forget how many, it's like 10 or 15 cords of wood have to be shoveled into the kiln in order to get it up to temperature so that the glazes can do their magic. Yeah. So you were there and you were taking classes and developing your own way of working with these various mediums? Well, or? when I was hired, I was hired to run the store and the gallery and the craft fair. So I had my hands full 24-7. And I lived across the street and would just walk across and, you know, start up the wood stove in the morning for many years to get it up to temperature so that I could open by 10 o'clock. And, um, you know, there were things that were coming in. We worked on consignment bases for a long time. I attended many of the buying shows so that I could get other people interested in Peters Valley and show their work as well. We tried to keep it as close to New Jersey artists as possible in the beginning. 
but eventually opened up because there were so many people that were starting to get really interested in all the different crafts, and we were there pushing all the crafts. When did you find a space in your life to to do your own work? Um, it was... It was a constant, really. The traffic of the different artists that came through there, they give you ideas, not necessarily what they're working on, but you see something and it's like, well, I want to try that, but I want to do it a little bit differently, right? So you mark it down or you make a sketch or you plan on doing something in the future. So I tried to do as much as I could. Part of my contract was that I was allowed to take a couple classes a year. So that's when, you know, I picked what I wanted to really study in. And that's how I built the boat. They had a boat building workshop there. So it, it worked out. There was always some kind of inspiration. We had a chance before we began our conversation to see some of the pieces that will be in the show at the Wyoming Valley Art League. And you talked about loving old things. And you took us inside the family homestead and you're coming across the thermometers. Where do you think that love of the old comes from? My parents had definitely a love of antiques. So even as a child, when we went on vacation, we would go to, we would stop, they would stop in to different, either, it's either a junk shop or an antique shop. Back then we kind of covered it all. My father introduced me to flea markets very early on. (laughs) So, you know, you'd bring your pocket change and find something and mom and dad would get something. My sister would find something else. So, and those things you start to collect at a very early age and that doesn't disappear. I mean, I'm still, I, I I did have to stop for a while (laughs) because I have a barn. You know, when we bought the house, we, we have a barn too. So when my grandmother passed away, I inherited some things that went into the barn And then when my father passed away, my mother moved up cleaning out the house. That went into the barn, plus my studio is in the barn. So there's lots of, there's lots of things in there, boxes and boxes. And this show actually was wonderful for me in that I was able to revisit some of those boxes that I haven't really looked in in years. And it's like finding it all over again. It's wonderful. Well, then that's a wonderful entrance into how this show came about, and what you are exploring. Well, I met Allison maybe, I don't know, I guess it's like five years ago now, and she had seen some of my work and approached me for a possible show, and that was back in 2019. And then, of course, we had COVID, so everything got shut down. But it was a matter of, I do so many different things, too, It was a matter of trying to decide how I wanted to focus on one thing. So photography has really been a primary love in my life for the the last 10, 10, 12, 15 years. And of course, I've grown up with the digital age. So that has been a real learning experience for me because the photography classes that I had all had the, the regular cameras. So, so that's how I started using the photography in my work and taking pictures inside old houses of objects that I thought, you know what, I've had this long enough, maybe I'll sell it now, but I want some kind of a a record of it. So I think I'll take a picture of it. One of the things (laughs) I did a little bit prior to COVID was, you know how everyone washes their hands a million times during COVID, right? And I had actually collected a jar full, a real big jar full of 
the little ends of soaps. <laughs> you know how you have the last inch or so? Well, I thought, just don't throw it away. It's got a nice shape or it's got an unusual color. So just put it in the jar. And I had a huge jar of it. And it's like, all right, do I really need all this soap anymore? No. Out it came all over the table and just did a bunch of photographs of it. And I love it. I think it's I think it's a fun, fun shot. Same thing with other things, other found objects and things that I wanted to get rid of. What about you and wallpaper? Okay, so, so the story, I grew up with wallpaper. My father built the house, so my mother was the one that was decorating. We're talking back in the 50s and the 60s, and she got hooked on wallpaper too. And the wallpaper went up in every room, sisters, my room, little strips in the kitchen here and there. And personally, as I grew older, I grew out of the wallpaper stage completely. But then when I started exploring these old buildings in the National Park and around here, Eckley Miners Village, you could go in some of the houses there. You begin to see the wallpaper from the 40s and the 30s and the 20s. And a lot of times there are multiple layers. And when the house starts to deteriorate or decay, those certain layers start to peel back, fall off the wall. And you have these wonderful surprises underneath. And so that's how I started taking photos of the, of the wallpaper. There's a certain tone and a mood that's created in those pieces mm. with the wallpaper. There are patterns and the way the colors yeah. work. The way They're... it's ripped. Actually, the way it's ripped, you know, that's the, that makes a big difference, too. You might have a pattern of plaid on, on the top. And underneath it, you have three beautiful blue roses. You never know. It's just a nice juxtaposition of, of colors and, and patterns. What about the old paper that you rolled up? Okay, the old paper's another story. That's, um, again, I was with my dad, and I was like uh, between 13 and 15, maybe. And he took me to an auction. And we would look at everything. I had no idea that I was going to purchase something. But he turned to me and said, how about this? This looks pretty good here. I think I think you might like this in the future. And it was a portfolio of very old papers, very old papers, a lot of beautiful handwriting. I mean, it looked like to me from reading Michelangelo book and the Leonardo da Vinci book, we're talking old pen and inks and beautiful script. And I went for it in a big way. So I put my $10 bid down and this was at the Cape we were at the Cape Cod at the time at this auction and we left the next day coming home back to New Jersey and we got a phone call that said my bid was accepted so I sent them the $10 and um, they sent me the portfolio and I've had that portfolio this whole time and kind of rediscovered it after my dad passed away and went through it again and just absolutely fell in love with it and started playing with all the shapes and gluing different pieces together. And I would take little snapshots. And for this show, in revisiting it, I've decided, okay, let's see what it looks like 10 times bigger. So I had them blown up. And in one of the paper making classes that I took, I had made extremely large pieces of paper. And at the time, I remember thinking, these are way too precious to do anything with. I just love the texture. 
And we worked with cotton rag and I think it's called yuzu, which is another plant. There are all kinds of fibers that you can you can make paper with. And it's been up in my attic for ages. It just ages. And I thought, you know what? Now's the time. So I've mounted them and incorporated them into some of the found papers with the collaged work. So it's wonderful how those things just tumble into place when the time comes, right? Mm. Also, the photograph, for example, in the invitation to the show. Right. Persimmons and fava beans. Fava beans, that's it. Yep. (laughs) The impulse was, again, pattern color. Yep. Pattern color and using what I have available. You know, the the backings that I have, I collected a long time ago. They were probably from the 40s, and they were the backs to mirrors. This is before they mounted the mirror in a very thick form right onto the back of your door or something. So they actually mounted it onto a beautiful piece of pine, and the shape is very intriguing for me. So I decided, you know what, I'll keep these. (laughs) And I actually have three of them. And I decided to do the two big montages because of where they were going to be placed on the wall when you walk into the gallery. So, And what is your impression of the circle center? Oh, it's just such a gorgeous space. It is. It's just wonderful. The light is beautiful. The way you walk in and you, you travel around the circle very easily to see all the different work has nice height to it, beautiful lighting. I mean, they did an exquisite job in putting it all together. And the installation, now that is tailor-made for you as a collector, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. That was that was like a last-minute thing. I, I, had, I had one of the really big walls in the gallery figured out how I was going to lay out my paper collages onto that. But there was another big wall, and it was like, hmm, all right, time to put the thinking cap on. And one of the other things that I collected over the years, a company was getting rid of their old silk screens and the silk screen is really the framework that i use to show a lot of decaying things hence the installation for the show that the first so the first piece when you walk in is called decasia and that i put maybe what three i think three or four shelves in it and then bird wings dried duck carcass, <laughs> you know, pieces of stick, blossoms, old leaves, um, glass objects, metal that I find on the side of the road, you know, from the undercarriage of a car that has a nice pattern to it with a lot of rust on it. Everything decays. So that's the point of the show. <laughs> we know too, don't we, that Not only were the Dutch painters interested in tulips, but they often would meditate on the notion of memento mori with skulls and such reminding us that life ultimately passes. Do we need to be reminded about about that, do you think? You know, I, I didn't think so, but while putting together the big piece, the installation, I found an old mirror and I thought, how wonderful is this? Because we all decay too. So right in the center of the installation, you'll find a little round mirror. And I don't know how many people are going to glance in the mirror and get the aha moment, but that's why it's there. (laughs) Artist Linda Davis speaking about her work in anticipation of the opening of her exhibition titled Decasia 
at the Circle Center for the Arts, presented by the Wyoming Valley Art League. The show opens on Friday, August 19th and runs through September 29th. There will be a reception on third Friday. That's the opening night, August 19th. And the reception will run from 5 to 8 p.m. And everyone is welcome. The Wyoming Valley Art League, the Circle Center for the Arts, Rear 130 South Franklin Street in downtown Wilkes-Barre. That's artist Linda Davis and her exhibition titled Decasia. And it's at the Wyoming Valley Art League's Circle Center for the Arts, August 19th through September 29th, with an opening reception on Friday, August 19th, from 5 to 8 p.m., and all are welcome. For more information on the web, wyomingvalleyartleague.org, wyomingvalleyartleague.org.